All right. Welcome to the uh, Front Row Podcast. This is uh, Coach Mark Gottfried. And uh, like always, I'm having a lot of fun and uh, I've had some amazing guests. And today I'm really excited because uh, I've got somebody who's near and dear to my heart. Uh, this guy I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of. And uh, I've got Mo Williams. A lot of people will remember Mo as, as an NBA champ with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he had a phenomenal 15-year career in the NBA, and going way back, Mo was uh, a product of Murrah High School in Jackson, Mississippi, and I recruited him when I was the head coach at Alabama, and uh, he could have went anywhere in America. Everybody in the nation wanted him. He was the number one point guard in the country as a high school senior. He came to Alabama and uh, made a instant, unbelievable impact, and was the National Freshman of the Year, was the SEC Freshman of the Year, first-team All-SEC, and and ended up uh, leading us to a number one ranking in the uh, country. And um, so anyway, uh, we had a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal run. So anyway, welcome, Mo. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Coach. Well, you and I go way back. So uh, if we go back all the way to high school and uh, yeah. you're playing over there in Jackson, Mississippi, I'm the coach at Alabama. I remember watching you maybe the first one of the first times I watched you and, and uh, you know, obviously fell in love with your game. I think I remember watching you at the ABCD camp in, in uh, yeah. T-Neck, New Jersey. T-Neck, New Jersey. There you go. How about T-neck, that? T-Neck, New Jersey. Yeah, but uh, yeah. you come from great family. I, I loved your mom and dad. Your dad, rest in peace. Ike was just a, a wonderful guy. Your older brother Mike was, and still is, I'm sure, for you a great mentor and and uh, a great older brother. Your mom Griselda. But talk a little bit about uh, you know kind of that period. Your high school. You're you're uh, you're starting to get good. You you know you're <clears throat> kind of good. But uh, when did you start feeling like you know what I I I'm pretty good at this and um, I might have a chance to be a really good player and play in college, play in the NBA, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. It's funny that you asked me that because uh, I, I I tell kids this story all the time, and hopefully you got some young viewers on here that's aspiring to be, you know, uh, maximize their potential on a professional level or get to that point, right? And it, and it's always good to hear stories from guys like myself and the mindset and the focus that you have to have. And I remember as a freshman in high school, before you even came about in my life, um, <clears throat> I tell kids all the time, I had the wrong mindset going into high school as a freshman. Um, you know, I wasn't going to class. You know, the seniors at this time, I don't know if it's changed or not, the seniors, they can leave at noon, they done. They don't have any electives. So I was leaving with the seniors, you know, <laughs> as a freshman. and doing all the things that I shouldn't be doing. And I played ninth grade ball because at Murrah High School, which, you know, we have a lot of tradition, and one of the tradition freshmen don't play varsity. They don't give a damn how good you are. And I played ninth grade ball. We went undefeated. And all of a sudden, we had a, we had, we had a bunch of seniors on that, on that team at the time when I was a freshman. All the seniors were like, Coach, we have to bring this young kid up. So I ended up playing varsity as a freshman. And that's when my life changed. And when I came up as a freshman, um, playing against the Justin Reeds, the Provine, that's when Provine had the Provine Posse, Justin Reed, Dave Sanders, you know, all those guys. They had five, six D1 players on one team. And I was a freshman and came in and played against those guys. That was my first 
high school game. I had 16 off the bench and it just took off from there. I got a write up in the paper. And I remember seeing that write up in the paper and I'm like, wow, hold, wait a minute. I, I can I can use this to to get out of a situation. Um, I had my son at the time. KD was just born and my mindset changed. And that's why I tell kids all the time, it's a mindset. And my mindset changed drastically. I went from hanging with knuckleheads to actually becoming friends with guys that had the same mindset that I had. And I was in the gym all day, every single day. And to put it in perspective, a year later, that's when you see me, right? So all the work that I put in from that year, from when you saw me in my, in my game just kind of, just start going in that trajectory and that's when the rankings came out and back then there was no social media right so you didn't really see those guys that was ranked or whatever the case may be it was just paper or or you'll see a a clip with names but you can't see them so i remember the first tournament i went to it was bob gibbons you remember bob gibbons yeah. yeah so we go to bob gibbons and I'm playing with uh, the New Orleans Jazz with that Fouché, and we're loaded. And Chris Duhon, you know, myself, Justin Reed, Brandon Mouton, uh, Dwayne Mitchell that went to Auburn, Jermichael, uh that went to LSU. I mean, we was loaded, right? And I left that tournament, and all of a sudden, I was the top point guard in the country, number three in the country overall. And when that happened, my mindset was really shifted toward just being the best I can be, right? And not giving up that spot. And that's when my whole life changed. And that's when I just dove right into what I wanted to do. Um, the knucklehead things that I was doing was canceled out. Um, and the most important thing was to me was school and basketball. And I tell kids all the time, it's a it's a mindset that you have to have and you have to sacrifice some things to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started for me. And then as far as recruiting wise, uh, going through that process, I remember every school, like you said, every school in the country was recruiting me. Mm-hmm. And I tell people this story all the time. You was uh, going into well, when you started recruiting me, you had just got the job uh-huh. and you was trying to, you know, build this program up. You know, they hadn't been to the tournament. I might be mistaken, but it got to be over a decade, 10 years or so. <laughs> Long time. And you get the job and I'm getting recruited by the UCLA yep. that was in the final four the year before the Georgetowns. Um, Leonard Hamilton was at Miami at the time. He was on me real hard. And obviously the Mississippi schools. And and obviously uh, I'm the reason you and Stan's beard. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing battles. about, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So one thing about it is um, the reason I chose to, to go to the University of Alabama and play for you, A, every time I looked up, you was there, right? That meant a lot to me. I don't know if you knew that. And not only you, it was the staff. And I take that approach. When I really want a kid, we all show up. Because I just go back to, hey, listen, I don't care what you say. They recruited the heck out of me. You know, and everywhere I went, they was there. I don't care if we was playing 10 buck two and we was going to beat them by 70. They was there. And they showed that they really wanted me. And and I remember when I committed, and people don't realize this, I was the top point guard in the country, and I committed going into my junior year. Mm-hmm. I didn't wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a credit to you guys, and especially you yourself and your staff, 
for the for the recruitment that you guys did and the pressure you guys put on us, you know, to get it done. Because I know you didn't want to wait too long to get too many people in the mix. So I know you can speak on that more than I can. But for me, it was just it felt so um, authentic for one. And, and it shows from our relationship even out, outside of college, you know, to this day. I mean, we talking about over 20 years ago um, and our relationship has been strong. Um, I've been blessed to be even on your staff to learn from you. I, I, we, I run the same offense you run, you know, um, I, I, and for, for whatever reason, I got some of the same characteristics as a coach that you have, That's funny. you know, so um, I've been blessed to be around you for a long time, man. And um, I, I'm grateful to, 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 to really be a part of your, uh, your coaching tree. Well, <clears throat> makes me feel good. You know, Mo, when I go back, I, I remember going into Murrah one night, and I want to say it might have been either Callaway or Provine, and you had an unbelievable game. The place was packed. And there's another time, I want to say if I can remember, you guys had to play because the crowds got so big. You had to go play at, I don't know if it was a middle school that had a big gym or another high school. Yeah, we, we had to play at a middle either, school that had a – Yeah, it was a big gym, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, the girls played before you. And uh, remember, there's a really good uh, female player in the game. I, I think she may have ended up going to Alabama. But anyway, I just remember walking in there that yep, night. Yeah, Navanda Moore. That's it. And the place is packed. And uh, you had to move the games because, you know, you couldn't sell enough tickets uh, in your in either gym. And uh, it was just uh, sitting there saying, man, this guy has a chance to be be just a wonderful player. And so sometimes I think back, Mo, and I go, players like yourself, I've coached a lot of guys, and uh, you have always had a very, like, intentional, serious, like, um, I always say when, when players are honest with themselves, that's when they become great because you were always honest. Like, if you came to practice hard every day. If you had a weakness, you didn't make excuses. You worked on your weaknesses. Like, you just had an approach – that was, uh, I always thought, kind of mature, much older than you were, kind of. You you just had kind of a very mature approach. Where do you think that came from? Like, was there a person or your coach? or Like, where did that, or was that innate, just, hey, I was born that way? I'm sure there are people that kind of instilled that, but you just had such an amazing approach, serious, competitive, and uh, I think it's why you became such a great player. Well, absolutely. I mean, to, to echo that, I had a lot of people um, in my corner from from the beginning. Fred Williams is one. Then then came James uh, Wright, uh, rest in peace. Wow. You know, those two guys caught me when I was young and they really fundamentally, they really developed me. Right. And, but to get to your point on my 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 mindset on how I was and my, my approach and how I was, it was because I never thought about the NBA. I never thought about the NBA, even in high school. That's what these kids get misunderstood today in high school, because they rank this, they rank that they're thinking they're already in the NBA. They're thinking that they're good enough to go to the NBA and they don't understand it's a trajectory, right? You, you, you know, if you keep growing, you keep getting better. You keep, that same mindset, yes, you can be in the NBA. Yes, you can be this type of player. But if your mindset is not the same, you're going to get leaked 
somebody's going to jump in front of you because they don't have the same mindset as you, right? So my my mindset always, I never thought about the NBA. In my mind, I never thought I was good enough to go to the NBA. I Honestly, that was my mindset. So I just worked extremely hard. Just I, I, I wasn't a guy that was jumping over. I wasn't Derrick Rose per se. You know, I, I didn't have, I had some special qualities, but it wasn't nothing that stuck out that, oh, he's a bona fide. NBA player. So I had to really be tough. I had to be mentally tough as one, but physically tough also. But I never in my mind until my sophomore year thought I can go to the NBA. Mm -hmm. I was always in my mind thought that I wasn't good enough. So I always worked extremely hard. Mm -hmm. I always had the mindset that I wasn't good enough. I always had that. And I was scared. I had a fear of failing. So my fear of failing created a, a mindset of doing way more than expected mm. so I can be prepared for the game. I can be prepared for the show. Mm -hmm. And you were, and it was unbelievable. And I, I tell the story so many times and all through the years of recruiting and, you know, I had great players. Dennis Smith was a great point guard, probably ranked like you, probably the best point guard in the country coming out of high school when I was at NC State. And I've had other guys like that. But I always tell guys, you know, I never promised anybody, and you're you'll you'll Nobody. be a, you'll be a witness to this now, because because here I am, I'm at Alabama, I'm pretty young, I'm relatively new. We haven't established anything yet, and I've got the number one point guard in America, and I'm just not going to promise that you're going to start, because everybody wants to hear those words. Am I going to start? You know, and you never asked me that. You never one time asked me that, but. I, I kind of joke later in life, like, you know, I never promised Mo, but practice started on the very first practice day of his freshman year at three o'clock at about three Oh five. I made my decision. I said, okay, he's my starter, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I wasn't going to promise you that because I just, I've always felt as a coach, if you still have to earn it, because if you're not playing well or somebody's beating you out, I, I can't be held to that promise. I've got to be true to it. And so even for you, as good as you were, you came in and you were just so hungry. And I can remember the early practices and we had Antoine Petway there. Who's now the coach at Kennesaw state. And we both, we both love him to death. And, and, uh, but you just came in and, uh, you, you just competed so hard from day one. And well, even in the summertime in camp, you know, we play late at night during camp and, uh, your, your your, your desire for competition was just uh it was just remarkable it was and i and again that's that's why i think you be you you became who you 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 still are to this day and that was my mindset you know i didn't want anything given to me you know um i didn't care about you know you you know starting but i knew i was you know um <laughs> I, I i knew i was because i was gonna i was gonna earn what i what i you know what i wanted i always have you know uh but but you know to piggyback on that coach i like i say i got some of your characteristics every time i recruit i tell them the same thing i say listen i was the number one point guard in the country and i was recruited you know what my coach told me hey i, I can't promise you you're gonna start you know uh you got to come earn it and i tell every kid the same thing when i recruit them because mm -hmm. i tell them i said hey yes you in my mind you could be a starter or you may be a starter but what if you I tell you, you're gonna start, and I got a kid that's hungry that 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 spends six months working on this game, have a different mindset, and come in and kick your behind every day, right? And if I told you you're gonna start, and then that kid earn it, 
and you don't start now are you saying is our oh, coach lied to me and that's one thing that i always pride myself on i'm never going to lie to a kid even if you don't like it i'm never going to lie to you mm -hmm. you know when you were a freshman i want to say at alabama i think uh maybe louisville came in or utah and we had to go to utah your sophomore year that's when we ranked number one in the country which a lot of people in alabama mm -hmm. forget that's the only time in the school's history Alabama basketball History. has never been ranked number one in the country. And, Ever. and, and we Ever. did that. But I just remember a couple of those games where even early in the season, you you elevate. I think we beat Louisville so bad. Utah, we beat them really, really bad. They were a really good team ranked. Yep. Uh, really, beat them about 25. Really just smoked them. And, uh, but again, as a freshman, the impact you made uh, was crazy. And then I, I also remember, you know, we go up to Rupp Arena at Kentucky. And there was Ain't a won play. in 13 years. That's right. Hadn't been 13 Remember? years since Alabama hadn't won up there. Anyway, there was a it was kind of a long rebound, and the ball came off and, and kind of around the foul line area. And Kentucky had two players trying to get back, you know, defensive transition. They were trying to get back, and you caught this long rebound about the foul line. And you had a burst of speed, and you went right, right through them. And <laughs> I, I remember, remember sitting on the bench. I looked over there to my assistants. I tapped him. I said, "Did y'all just see what he just did right there?" Because <laughs> your speed was so, and you laid in a layup. And I said, "Okay, here we go." And uh, we went into Kentucky and beat him. That had to feel awfully good for you to, uh, you know, to accomplish absolutely. And do absolutely. When you talk about Kentucky, I mean, you talk about the Holy Grail. I mean, you talk about the history and. <laughs> And as a freshman, you talk about going to Kentucky. I mean, you, and, and hold on, let, let, let's rewind. Now we're talking about all these conferences, Coach. Remember, them, the, at that point in time, the SEC was the top conference basketball-wise in the country. Because mm -hmm. when you go out, my, especially my two years there, we had seven to eight teams in the tournament both years. Mm -hmm. Both years. And you talk about competing in our mm -hmm. league. You, I'm talking about Vanderbilt may come in there and beat mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you know, at that time, mm -hmm. you know, it was tough, you know, and uh, to go into to, to obviously in the rough. I mean, you talking about, you know, fans going crazy. We going in and win that game. I mean, I can I can name a number of games. I mean, Tennessee was good at the time. I mean, they had they had a uh, y'all bro. They had Hayslip. They had Ron Slay. I mean, you talking about. You you talking about a time when the S, when SEC basketball with it was at its peak, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, Mississippi State was good, Ole Miss was good. I mean, you, Georgia was good because Jim was there, mm -hmm. Coach Herrick. I mean, you talking about you mm -hmm. know every single night, and we def we dominated that league mm -hmm. those two years. We did we had remember the our home record. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't lose at home. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I can, we started that sellout at alabama mm -hmm. we started that mm -hmm. you know far as basketball getting excited so when you're talking about turning around alabama basketball and, and people seeing them in 2020 and 2022 and three hey listen in 2000 2001 to to that that four or five year stretch i mean oh my goodness you want to talk about the players that you was recruiting um the the i mean People underestimated the impact of Irwin Dudley, mm. you know, that what he mm. had. I mean, you talk mm. about, you know, how good he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, and then my freshman year, I remember uh, going to the tournament, playing uh, Florida International. Yep. Uh, that was my first, first, first uh, 
game in, in the NCAA tournament. And you were nine for thirteen from the oh, field, thirty three points. Mm-hmm. I mean, nine assists. I mean, it was ridiculous, you mm-hmm. know. And, and just the just the impact we had uh, from a basketball standpoint. Mm-hmm. And at the time, yes, that yeah. was a. It's always yeah. going to be a football school, but mm-hmm. at the time, oh, yeah. basketball hasn't d- did much, yeah. you know. And just to have that that synergy. Um, that 2001, 2002, 2003 team. And then obviously I left and went into the draft and went to Utah. And obviously that same team that I left went to the Elite Eight and I kicked myself <laughs> all the time. And I say, God, what if I just would have stayed one more year? We went to the Elite Eight with the same exact yeah. team. And if I was there. Yeah. Um, so I, I kicked myself with that. I don't regret it, but I kicked yeah. myself just yeah. kind of what could have happened. Um, but well, coach, you know, I, I want to say this before you get to your next question. Um, you was unbelievable um, for me, you know, as a coach, you was the perfect coach for me. Um, you had the perfect temperament because you, you never had to get on me. Right. The only thing you had to get on me about is like, Hey, mom, mom, come here, man. Hey, man. <laughs> You 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 gonna have you gonna have to go you gotta go to class. Man. <laughs> if you don't go to class, I can't. I, those guys have to go to class. But you have that's the only time you had to get on me. You didn't have to correct me. Yeah, that practice. wasn't very often, you there, Mo. That wasn't very often. Maybe a few times I had to get on you, but not very often. Just a little bit. But that's but, you know, what, I, that's what what what. Go it's, ahead, coach. it's interesting, Mo, when I you're talking about Alabama basketball and I had, you know, I played there and coached there and had a great run. But, you know, Alabama has had great players, great tradition. But, you know, I think they had won it, won the SEC championship, I want to say, in 1974. When I played as a senior, we won it in 1987. Then we won it with you as in 2002. So it wasn't like Alabama was winning the SEC championship, you know, every other year or, you know, three out of ten years. There had been a – 40, 35, 40 year stretch, there was only two. And then we did it in 2002 with a great team. And uh, like, I believe it. I believe in what oh, you're saying. Florida I, game, coach. Florida. Wow. Oh, my Phenomenal. goodness, man. The electricity in that building that night. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. You talk, hey, coach, listen, um, I know you don't get your flowers like you should. But you had an unbelievable run at, at Alabama. Well, thank unbelievable. You thank you for sure. Unbelievable. It was, it was a great time and a lot of fun. And I I was so lucky to got to have guys like yourself. And uh, Mo, you you did so much to elevate uh, along with the other players, elevate the program back, you know, to where um, you know, they had won in the past some, but but what you guys did was really special. So so now you you're off to the NBA and uh, I headed out to Utah and I was actually really excited because Jerry Sloan was a coach and and some of the some of the things they ran were a little bit similar to what we did. Yep. So I felt okay. You know, it's a system he'll he'll have to learn and Jerry Sloan was probably one of the greatest coaches in my opinion ever. But uh I thought that might have had a little bit of an advantage. A couple guys got hurt and kind of gave you a, another opportunity right off the bat as a rookie. Exactly. And boy, you took advantage of that, which a lot of players today don't understand. You know, sometimes you know, you get an opportunity and, uh, you've got to be ready when your opportunity comes. And I think it was Mark Jackson might've retired. Maybe if I get this right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and John Stockton, John Stockton had just retired 
And I think yeah. there was another kid that hurt his knee. Uh, was a former uh, uh, Raul Lopez. Lopez. Raul Lopez. Well, now all of a sudden, here's the rookie, and the rookie gets a chance to play a little bit more. But what you did, Mo, is you took advantage of the opportunity that was presented to you. And now you're coaching. And, you know, you might have some guys sitting down there a little bit that they may think, well, I'm never going to get to play. But you just don't know exactly when that opportunity is going to come. But for you, when it came, you were ready. And not only were you ready, you took advantage of it. And there was no looking back from that point forward. Absolutely. You, I mean, you took the words of my mouth. I mean, I, I'll get back to my team. But for me, in that situation, that was the – I tell people all the time, that was the perfect place I could have went, right, as a rookie. A, they run guard cut just like we run. I'm talking about similar. NBA game, shot clock is, is slow, so it's – it's quick hitters out of the um, guard cut, but I'm 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 used to coming guard cut coming off pin downs and things like that. So it was easy to 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 really kind of get into that system. Um, but one thing that I I loved about Jerry Sloan and Phil Johnson, they ran that program like a semi college. It wasn't. I didn't become a. I didn't. I didn't become a professional athlete until my second year until I went to Milwaukee until I realized like oh wow okay now I'm in the NBA because what happened was my 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 rookie year um it was still the same the assistant coaches would grab you they will make you work out they will put you in the gym you will go over the offense they will communicate with you they will make sure your your mindset is where they needed to be just like college you always got to communicate with guys you got to get them on the same page. It's kind of my way, not your way type of college atmosphere. And that's how it was in Utah. And it wasn't like that everywhere else. If you ain't getting your stuff done on your own and you ain't ready to play, you're not going to play and you're probably not going to be in the league long, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what I tell guys all the time. And I tell guys this story my rookie year. I came in as a second-round pick. Um, I was third point guard on the depth. And obviously – we had some injuries happen, and all of a sudden, I ended up playing in 60 games. We didn't make the playoffs that year, but I played in 60 games um, and played some significant minutes and some moments, right? And from that point on, that opportunity catapulted me to where I went to Milwaukee the next year. So what happened was Utah loved me. Jerry loved me. But they didn't expect me to have that type of rookie year. Then all of a sudden, Milwaukee come and, and – trying to pay me some money and Utah like, whoa, wait a minute. We just wanted to get them back for the minimum. <laughs> and all of a sudden Milwaukee come with some money and that's how I ended up leaving Utah. Uh, but I wouldn't have that opportunity with Milwaukee if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity Utah gave me. No um, and, and I took fully advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Mo, you played for some different coaches in the league and uh, we'll talk maybe in a minute about some of the players you played with, but the coaches in the league you played with, who stood out to you? um and why like who who just man that guy was really good or you know he was unique or who who and why in the nba i'm gonna I'm name a few because even uh my mentality how i coach um I, I really got a lot of tidbits of a lot of coaches that i really admire that i played for stuff that their mindset um to start with you i run your offense um uh, mixed with a little stuff that i do obviously but um, going into the pros, like Mike Brown. Mike Brown is a defensive-minded coach. 
his philosophy defensively, I use that with my team today because I think he's from a mindset, from a defensive mindset, um, his scheme, I mean, they, they work on any level. Um, Jerry Sloan, for one, just his temperament in practice, just on how he holds guys accountable, um, I, I always uh, uh, admire that. I remember I, I, I remember a quick story. We're in Utah. We come in the halftime. Greg Osatag, he playing like crap the first half. <laughs> and I just remember going into the – we in the halftime. I'm a rookie. So I'm sitting down. We, we're waiting on the coaches to come in because we come in first, and about five, six minutes later, you know, the coaches come in. They got to meet first. So Jerry had some on his mind. So we come in at halftime, and all of a sudden we sitting down, and Jerry just grab a bag of ice. It was it was in the ice, you know, where you put ice on your knee, but it's already in the bag. He just grabbed the ice and just throw it at Osatag, and it kind of hit, you know, it didn't hit him, but it just kind of hit his locker. I remember it's just like yesterday. And Greg get up, and Jerry get up. He said, Jerry, I, I don't want to, you know, use no profanity on here, but he was like, come on, mother. Come on, mother. And I'm sitting there as a rookie, like, now at the time, Jerry is like 75. <laughs> so I'm looking at myself like, what the hell going on here? <laughs> but I knew what he was doing. You know, he, J, uh, Greg came out the second half. He was more, more animated. He was more aggressive, and he played well. So just holding guys accountable no matter who he is, um, another story about Jerry. Um, they had my rookie year. They just gave Carol Lake a damn near a hundred million dollars. So at this time, that's like two hundred today. And we we just started practice doing three man weed. And Jerry, this is the beginning of practice, and we sprinted. And you know, um, Carol Lake, he just kind of sprinted a little bit. And he just blew the whistle, like just went off. Like God damn it. You, you got all the money now. You don't want to – he just started going crazy. So just the accountability aspect yeah. Yeah. of how he treated his players, he treated everybody the same. So I take that from him. Offensively, just movement-wise, Terry Stotts is mm. – I mean, offensively, the things that he runs just to get guys the ball in space and isos and, and ball movement and body movement, um, that was great. Um so I take a lot from uh, from guys and and T. Lou um, to end my career. Teron Lou, he's really good at communicating with players, right? Because he, he's a former player, so he's really great at getting guys to understand on what he takes. And even when guys don't like their situation, he's really good at communicating, getting guys to understand mm -hmm. the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, so just to give you just a few guys that I admire. Mm -hmm. that I that I take from them and kind of build my own uh, philosophy on how I coach and how I treat players and how I go about my day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Talk about this one, Mo. So you and I have talked about this many times, <clears throat> and I can remember clearly because I was living in Orange Beach, Alabama. I was actually sitting on the couch uh, with Drew Powell, who was, uh, who was my manager, then my graduate assistant at Alabama. Then he was a high school coach at Gulf Shores High School. But we're watching television, and we're watching the night of the decision, uh, ESPN <clears throat> show. You're playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I think you've turned down some pretty good money to stay in Cleveland because uh, your team was good. LeBron is there. 
and the show starts and the decision comes on and and he makes the announcement. We all, we've all remember it, that he's going to take his talents to South beach. And I remember texting right away. I said, are you okay? And I think your response was, there's no effing loyalty in this league. And you were really hurt. It yeah. just hurt you. It just hurt you. You know, it he, did. It did. he had an opportunity to go and play in Miami, but he left you guys. And that at that point, I think you started off the next season, like, oh, and man, we, oh, we lost 26 in a row. 26 yes, or indeed. something. We lost. Talk, yes, talk about yes, that, that night. Was, like what's going through your mind and how, how all that, that was, came to play. That was tough because I was only 26 years old at the time. I was in my prime. And um, I remember that happening because, you know, we was really good. And this is the 26, 27-year-old mindset. You know, I'm th- well, let's rewind. So when I was in Milwaukee, I had two options. So my agent called me and said, all right, we're gonna, they're going to trade you. We have two options. We can go to L.A., to the Lakers, or we can go to Cleveland, with Bron. So I'm thinking to myself, Bron Young, we about the same age. Man, I could play with him forever. Kobe, you know, is a little older. I don't know how much longer he had left, even though he is still playing, you know, 10, 12 years after that. But at the time, I'm thinking, like, I can go to Cleveland. I could be there forever. You know, so that was my mindset. So going there, we was winning. And obviously, uh, I was getting better and better. Um that was my first time actually playing on that level. You know, I was in Milwaukee, no TV game, really no big games. So now I'm getting in big games. Um, I kind of underachieved in some playoff appearances, you know, and and looking forward to the next opportunity as I get older. And then all of a sudden the decision comes. And then all of a sudden that's gone. And be honest with you, that kind of changed my trajectory of my career, you know, from that. You know, I was impacted from that. Um because I sacrificed a lot of my development in my game to play in Cleveland because I was off the ball a lot. Um, I, I really be, I'm known as a great shooter now, but I was really more off the bounce, you know, with the ball in my hands a lot. But I, I changed my game to really uh, benefit Brun. That's why we was a really good tandem. Um, so just getting back to the young mindset, I was really hurt and immature of how to handle it, for one. Um, if I can go back, I'll just put my head down and keep working and getting better mm-hmm. and, and obviously just tackle it a different way, which I didn't. And that's mm-hmm. another learning experience I give my kids on situations, how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't handle it right. And I got mad. I got depressed. Um, I, I, I took a step back in my development. Um, you know, season came. We was losing. So I'm frustrated with that. Um, and, and then you under – at the time when you're that young, you don't understand the business side of it. Mm-hmm. You don't understand now. We're really, we're really bad. So we we really don't want to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from three seasons in a row. We're number one in the East. You know, we went in 60 plus games every year. And now we're we're having a rotation of how we're playing. We're really not trying to win no basketball right. games. So that was really frustrating to me. Uh so that 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 didn't help at all. So I ended up getting obviously traded at the at the middle of the year because I was frustrated. I was depressed and I didn't handle it well. And, it, and looking back on it, you worked at, with Dallas. So you understand when guys not happy and things like that, you got to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that what happened, I ended up going to the Clippers, but mm-hmm. I would say how I handled that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it didn't help my career going forward. Um, I still had a really good career. I still, still played in some good situations. And I bounced back from it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was gonna say, but I just think those. I just think those that, that year and a half. Um, I, I really struggled. I really struggled with kind of getting back to myself. And when I went to the Clippers and I got traded, I really kind of bounced back. Yeah. But that that first half of the year, I would say that was probably the toughest half of my career. Right. Um, just bouncing back from that. And, and and to answer your question, I mean, it was frustrating um, because, you know, we was communicating before. it. Um, I think I would have handled it better if I knew the answer before he right. told the world. Right. You know, uh, it, it shocked me, right. you know, and um, kind of looking back on it now as we sit here talking. Right. I mean, yeah. you got to do what's best for you. Right. 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 Um, so, but I didn't have, I, I trust me, I didn't have that mindset yeah. at the time at 26, 27. I always felt Mo that in that little couple, two or three years, right after that, um, I'm gonna get my teams right here. Clippers, maybe Minnesota and Charlotte yep. in there. Um, yep. that was right. But I, I thought well, it was the Clippers. It was the Clippers, then Portland, 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 then Utah. Yeah. But I felt like it kind of, uh, it probably grew you up a little bit uh, as far as it the did. business side of things. It probably matured you because you were probably a little hurt and you're, you, you'd made some decisions based, you know, for your career based on that. So now uh, I want to say you're in Charlotte at this point, And now LeBron is going back to Cleveland and here comes the call. We want Mo to come join us and come back to Cleveland and I think you and I may have talked about this one time. The owner, Dan Gilbert, may have even called you. But talk about mm -hmm. a little bit about your mindset, like what went into that to say, okay. Because, you know, like a lot of people in life, you get hurt. You know, you're hurt. Feelings. We all got feelings. I got them. We all have feelings. My feelings got hurt a little bit. But now they want you back. Now they want you back. So so what what's going through your mind at that point? I was mature this time. You know, I, I – let it go. Um, I because in the process of Braun leaving the first time, I said some things that got back to his camp, mm -hmm. uh, that he didn't like. Uh, you know, he said some things that I didn't like, so it was kind of a back <laughs> and forth with that. Uh, but it wasn't a beef, it was just kind of a just unsettling, right? Just our relationship just wasn't the same, that type of situation. Mm -hmm. And the year before I went back to uh, uh, not Milwaukee, but Cleveland, I was still playing at a high level. I was in uh, Minnesota the year before. We was not winning basketball game, but I popped up one night and had 52. That's right. You know, and right. I'm still playing at a high level. And then uh, we so bad, and I remember this call. Um, it's the week before trade deadline. Flip, rest in peace, Flip Saunders called me. He said, hey, Mo, I'm just letting him call him. He called me, and that was just out of respect. And he called me, he said, hey, I'm just letting you know that uh, we're going to trade you. And the reason why is because you deserve to be, uh, you deserve to play for one, and you deserve to uh, compete for a championship somewhere. Mm. And he said, you know, we're, we're not winning, and, I'm, and Zach Levine was a rookie, and we're going to play the, play the rookie the mm. second half of the year. And mm. I respected that. Yep. So I was going to, I was supposed to go to the Lakers again. That didn't happen. Cleveland was trying to get me to uh, a buyout because they didn't want to trade for me. They wanted to keep their peace. They wanted me to get a buyout from Minnesota. And I was supposed to go to Cleveland before that. And, and um, Flip said, 
I'm going to trade you, but I ain't giving your ass away. You know, I got to get something back. So I ended up going to Charlotte to finish the year. Um, had a really finished the year, finished strong. Uh, Kimball was hurt when I got traded. So I, I, let me give you one thing. So yeah, I was in Minnesota that year. They in the Western Conference. Charlotte is in the Eastern Conference. I'm one of the only players in the NBA that has won Player of the Week in both conferences in the same year. Wow. So when I won, when I won play, Player of the Week, in, in the Western Conference, get traded to Charlotte, and three weeks later, I went and played a week in Charlotte, <laughs> averaging 27 a game because Kimball was hurt. Uh, then I finished that year, man, here come Cleveland, so I'm a free agent at this point. And Cleveland called. Um, so um, I talked to Braun, I talked to his people, um, I talked to Dan Gibber. So Kyrie is hurt. You know, he's going to miss the first. 20 games of the season. So they called me saying, we need somebody to step in uh, for him. Um, you're the perfect guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, I get on the phone with Bron people. You know, we make sure our relationship is good enough to, to you know, how I'm feeling, how my mindset is. Mm -hmm. And my mindset, like, listen, all that's behind me. Mm -hmm. We good, you know, and he, it was it was vice versa. It was the same with him because it's about winning basketball games at this point. And I and I come back and I um, I start uh, the first twenty sold games, averaging about fourteen and eight, uh, playing about 35, 36 minutes a game. Uh, and and when Kyrie came back, and I tell kids this story all the time, Kyrie came back on Christmas, right? I didn't play, so I, I started playing thirty five minutes, and all of a sudden Kyrie come back. From a mindset standpoint, I'm like, well, Kyrie coming back, he's going to start. I'm going to play the backup minutes. That's it. It's a no-brainer. No. Uh, I'm not thinking as a coach. I'm not thinking like, no, Kyrie going to start. Deladova, he's still going to get the backup minutes because he complimented Kyrie, just like he complimented Mo. I wasn't thinking like that. So I get on Christmas Day. I've been playing every game Christmas Day. I don't get in the game. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Some some ain't right. I go through another lull, you know, for a month, you know, because I'm thinking to myself, as competitive as I am, it's been a long time since I haven't gotten in a game. You know, just imagine that mindset. And I tell kids this story all the time. You got to always stay ready. You got to always trick your mind. You got to be stronger than your mind. You got to trick it. And I used to, all, I had, I had probably about right when it happened. Christmas Day, the month of January, I was done, you know, just out of it because I couldn't figure out why I wasn't playing. And we were still winning. I couldn't figure out why, why I wasn't playing. Then uh, February happened, we go on All-Star break. So one thing about outside noise, right? You get calls all the time, and you know it, Coach. You get calls all the time. Man, why you ain't playing? Man, why he playing in front of you? Why he playing in front of you? It got to a point where – when people call me and they say something, I say, listen, if you're calling me about something negative, get off my phone. You know, so <laughs> I changed my mindset. So my mindset was, so I used to, so the game starts at seven. You know, people get there and they start, the guys that's going to play, they're going to start warming up and doing their workouts about 435. I get there at two to three o'clock and I'm going on the court with Phil Handy at the time. And we just, we're going through a, hour and a half workout. I'm doing all game stuff. 
I'm staying in game shape, but I'm talking to him like I'm in the game. Like I'm 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 doing some I'm saying some profanity, but I'm gonna clean it up for you. I'm like, no, nah, they gonna need me. I'm I'm going through drills with him. He guard me. I'm I'm attacking him like he an opponent, but I'm talking to myself. They gonna need me. They gonna need me. They gonna need me. They got me effed up. They gonna need me. Like that was me motivating myself, not making excuses or sitting back pout, which I was in January, and it didn't change. We go from February, you know, March, April, end of the season. We start the playoffs. I'm only getting minutes when we up 20, you know, to get guys rest. Get to the playoffs, we get to the finals. The finals. I haven't played in the playoffs. We're down 3-1 against Golden State. Mm -hmm. And this is why I tell kids to be ready and you never know. T. Lou never communicated with me, never said, hey, Mo, be ready tonight. Never. I'm sitting over there game five. This deadly time, because at the time in the NBA, you're going to know when you're coming in, when you're coming out. It's already slotted. You know the minutes, unless somebody in foul trouble. This is the time where Kyrie get his rest, get his blow. Kyrie going to get about 15 minutes of rest each game. And that's the backup minutes. He said, Mo, I was on one knee because I never sat down. I was at the end of the I was on one knee. He said my name. I sprinted to the scores table. I was already ready. He never spoke to me, never told me I was going in. And you go back and look at my stats in game five, six, and seven. I'm 15 minutes. I'm two for three from the field, three for four from the field, guarding my matchup. I'm guarding Sean Livingston. That was my matchup at the time. He's six, eight. I know what he's going to do. I know how to guard. I'm already locked into the scout report. I wasn't checked out. I was ready to play. Mm. Uh, and, and looking back on that, we won game mm -hmm. five, six, mm -hmm. and seven. Mm -hmm. The only time it's been done in uh, NBA history, mm -hmm. finals history. And I'll give you one tidbit. That year, Golden State, uh, remember they won 69 games mm -hmm. that year. They were, No, they won yeah, 69 games that year. They didn't lose two games in a row the entire season. Mm -hmm. Not not the entire season. And to lose three in a row was something special. And I was a part of all three of those games, playing about 15 minutes. So – I give give kids that story all the time. You never know when your name is going to be called, and when that when your name called, you better be ready because mm -hmm. it ain't no excuses. Right, you know, Mo, you're you're there. It's game seven. <clears throat> you guys were down three one. I remember right. That's the night LeBron had that crazy block from behind too, and he chased somebody yep. down the court With, and blocked the shot. Yeah, Godala, just mm -hmm. absolutely nuts. But. You know, I, I remember back in 95 when we won the national championship, I was with Jim Herrick at UCLA, and I just remember the clock. I just kept looking up there thinking, you know, there's there's a minute left. There's 40 seconds left. There's 30 seconds in your mind thinking, man, this is going to happen. Was that – what was going through your mind as games – as you're, you, it's coming down now that we're going to win this thing and we're going to be the champs. It's what everybody wants. It's – it's what you can take with you for the rest of your life as an NBA champ. Those last 30 seconds to a minute or 10 or 15 seconds, what's going through your mind? I'll get to the last 30 seconds. Let me start with the game. So the whole game, the lead, neither team led more than five points the whole game, right? So it's nip and tuck the whole game. It can go either way. So you, you've been in a national championship game. 
do you know the feeling when you somebody got your heart and they just gripping it tight the entire game? It's just everything is so like you holding so much in because it's just so back and forth and it's just so tight and every play is magnified. People don't understand when you're playing on that type of level how much every possession mm-hmm. matters. Everything. I'm talking about the guy that plays 10 minutes, the guy that plays 20 minutes. Those minutes are important. If you have an impact in those few minutes, that helps us win this game because we need all that. So going back and forth, and obviously at the end of the game, now it's up to the Kyrie's, the Bruns. I, I done did my 15 minutes. Now I'm over here, you know, just waiting and cheering and helping guys what I see in timeouts, you know, staying engaged. And people underestimate how much staying engaged means where you can see things and help guys. And Hey, Kyrie, I see this. I see that. All right, I got you. But getting back to toward the end of the game, the last two minutes of the game, the last minute of the game, and you just kind of sitting up there and that block coming in the picture because that block was down the stretch. And that block was so huge. It was so huge. And obviously the stop, people don't remember the uh, Steph Curry got switched on Kevin Love down the stretch under a minute. And mm-hmm. now we asking Kevin Love to stop, stay in front, don't let him pull up, make sure he make a tough shot uh, in that moment. And if you go to stay, you're like, wait a minute, I got Steph and I got K-Love on a switch. That's all we need. Mm-hmm. And to get that stop and to get the ball in Kyrie hand for that step to the side on the right wing three ball to, to kind of seal the game. When you talk about your heart is somebody just gripping it so tight where it, it ain't it don't even feel like it's beating. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at the clock and that 30 seconds feel like 30 minutes. And you just saying, man, just come on time, come on time, come on time. And you can relate. When that clock goes zero, 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 it's an emotion that you can't explain and you can't control. So you you just don't, it's almost like, uh, I, I tell people all the time, it's like uh, when you're watching Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell, like he, he don't know what to do with his hands. You know, he just, you, you just kind of, you, you just kind of look for somebody to hug and cheer and you just, you don't know, you, you're crying for no reason. and. I mean, it was an emotion that I mean, you didn't. We we both have kids, a lot of them, and we've had a lot of births, right? And we enjoy. It's a different type of feeling winning the championship because every day you wake up when you start a season, your goal is to win a championship, and as coaches. We know when we have a championship team mm-hmm. and we know when we don't, right? Right, right? And when you have one and you're saying, man, I don't really have a good team and compete for a championship, you can compete for a championship. That don't mean you're going to win one. Right. And I can go back to college, you know, to win an SEC championship. I mean, you couldn't tell me that didn't feel like a national championship mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like that feeling right there. And, you know, we feel – uh, uh, short in, in, against Mississippi State in, in the in the tournament championship, which I look back on like, damn, I wish I could have that back. But when you win in championships on any level, it goes back to day one of when you guys had your first meeting and your goals that you set. 
And and as a coach, you sit back and say, man, like the team I have now, uh, I have a team this year for the first time as a head coach. I'm confident that we can win our conference and go to the NCAA tournament. It's the first time I felt like that, right? Uh, it's not an overachieved moment. Um, I feel like we're good enough. Uh, we're good enough on paper. And obviously, we're good enough if we go out and compete. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you have those teams, when you win that championship, because you 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 prepare different when you're a championship team, you know, you you expect different, you know, so anything else is is, is basically a failure. You know, you don't feel like you 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 really uh, maximize, you know, the team aspect of your goal. And for us, uh, on every level, winning a championship with you, going to the NBA and winning the ultimate um, championship, which is an NBA championship, um, winning the Eastern Conference, you know, three years in a walk in a row, just just winning, just being a part of winning, uh, it's it separates your mindset of. When you get older, you appreciate those things. As a coach, you really understand that they mm -hmm. far, far in between. You you don't get mm -hmm. these opportunities that often. So just to be a part of um, championship teams and and I, I I go back to that. I mean, we, it was fifty two years before Cleveland won a championship, and we won a championship. So we uh, they had two planes, and uh, so we we fin we we beat them in Golden State game seven. So we had a plane, then they had a plane for our family. So all the family was on one plane that came out to the game. So after the game, we get on the bus here in our plane, you know, the family on their bus head to their plane. So we're thinking, we getting on the plane, we all about to go back to Cleveland that night. We get in the air for about an hour, and all of a sudden we was landing. We in Vegas. The family plane that went back to Cleveland. <laughs> So we on the plane, we got cigars on the plane. <laughs> we got all kind of champagne on the plane. Guys got their shirt off already on the plane. Oh, man, it, it, it's an unbelievable um, scenery on the plane. And then they come on the speaker and say, hey, guys, just landed in Vegas. Oh, man, we parted all night. Not only the players, I'm talking about Dan Gibbard, all the ownership, all the coaches. We parted all night long in Vegas. Got on the plane. We didn't leave Vegas at 8 in the morning. Wow. Got back on the plane at 8 in the morning. We flew to Cleveland. Landed in Cleveland probably about 10 o'clock a.m. It's 30,000 people at the airport that morning to see us. I mean, unbelievable feeling. Then it goes to the next day, the parade. It's 1.5 million people downtown at the parade. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have been in the parade before, and you going through the bear, uh, uh, what what they call the barricade, the uh, mm -hmm. the whatever, you know, when you you mm -hmm. kind of in the car going by. Mm -hmm. Typically, you know, people on the side of the street where you know you just waving at them. It's so many people where when we're going down the street, I can stick both of my hands out and slap both of everybody's <laughs> hands. People's feet, it, it was so tight. Some people's feet was getting ran over on some cars. Mm. It was unbelievable. One, it's people. If you go back and look at pictures and photos and video, it's people on top of lights, on top of buildings. It's unbelievable. And we only went around one block, and there was so many people there. The the uh, parade was supposed to last for two hours. We started at nine a.m. Supposed to be back in the uh, arena at, at eleven. We didn't get back to the arena until like four o'clock. 
<laughs> we just took one block. It was that many people, man. I mean, you talking about a surreal moment. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take those moments for the rest of my yeah. life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you deserve it. And, and you did it. Mo, let me ask you this one here. So I kind of, I think every generation of player, we kind of go, we, we look forward to the current generation and we might say, you know, these guys aren't as tough or they're this, you know, Hey, my group back then. And, you know, I played in the uh, mid eighties, you know, and, uh, you know, our group was tougher than this group and, you know, we didn't, you know, blah, 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 old school. And, uh, was you coach now you're the head coach at Jackson state. Are you seeing some of that with young players? Like, uh, some of that might be missing They're They've maybe been coddled too much or not. Maybe you don't see that. I don't know. What's your take on this generation of player compared to maybe your generation when you were coming up through high school and college? They saw, they saw, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you coach. I say it all the time. They saw, uh, it's just different. I mean, they, they, they miss too many practices. They miss too many games. Uh, I mean, I, I I give I give my players um, a story about me all the time. I tell them, I say, guys, let me explain something to y'all. I've never in college, I've never missed a practice ever. Like I've never, I've never missed a practice. Neither did I miss a game, and I play every minute. Yeah, and I've never missed a practice. And I say, guys, let me explain something to y'all. Y'all don't practice number two hours. We practice three hours a day, and after every practice, we on the line running mm -hmm. every day, mm -hmm. every day. Y'all get more days off than anybody, <laughs> but y'all always hurt. You are, If we go too long, you can't finish, you lose focus. They soft. They soft mentally. They soft physically, and I just think that they, they grew up in a uh, – they grew up like that. Just the high school coaches, the mm -hmm. AAU coaches, they ain't had those practices. Mm -hmm. They, uh, it's hard to coach. I mean, obviously, I would say, you know, every coach had this. You know, you you got some guys that you know just hard to coach at times. Mm -hmm. But from a, we more so, I think a better word, guys to kids today is more delusional mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. um, they think they're better than what they really are. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing about me, I'm always I'm a straight shooter, so I'm gonna mm -hmm. tell them who they are yeah. and what they can be. Yeah. But to answer your question, they are soft. They mm -hmm. guys miss too many practices. Guys too many, miss too many games. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you sprain your ankle. I say it, I come from a time where you just tie your shoe up a little tighter and just mm -hmm. get back out there. Mm -hmm. You know, ain't no sit down and missing a week. Uh, listen, hey, coach, I got guys that diagnose they self. <laughs> They're I had a guy sprain anchor. I said, they they own die. I say, yeah, coach, uh, it'll probably be about a about a week, coach. Like, who told you that? Like, how do you know? Uh, so it, it, to answer your question, they 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 saw. They saw right. these days. Right. And I and I, and I, I got you. I got you. I, All right, here's one for you now. Here's another one. So you tried as successful as you've been in every phase of your life. You you just haven't you haven't been successful at, at having a uh birthing a baby girl you, you you've accomplished the baby boy thing you've got that one done yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're on number six i i know i think seven 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 right. that's right KB. Yes. you got seven all right yeah so seven boys I... and uh 
If you Over. could, I, I ask this question a lot, but if you could, uh, if you could just, man, if you could just give the, those seven boys uh, a one or two or three characteristics, if you said, man, I just want you guys to have this, th this characteristic right here. And uh, it could, it could be anything. I'm just curious for you. And, and sometimes, you know, people realize parenting is hard. You know, parenting is hard. It is. You, it is. you want so you want your children sometimes to be a certain way, and, and sometimes you can mold them into it, but sometimes it's difficult, or sometimes it takes them a long time to get it. You know, they just don't get it till for you know forever. But for you, if you could gift them, Mo, if you could tell those boys, say, I, I want you to have these characteristics in your life, and I can I can give them to you right now. What would they be? Exactly. I mean, for one thing, is integrity. Integrity, right? You know, you got to be confident about yourself. Um, obviously you got to be respectful, you know, and, and, and when you have those type of things, just in, in your characteristic, who you are as a person, just being a good person for one, um, that's, that's what I look into my boys and I want them to be, um, for first and foremost. And if you're a good person, you have integrity. Now you have good work ethic, right? You know, you have goals that you want to set and you can obtain them. Um, so for me, it's integrity, you know, it's, it's your character, who you want to be, because not only do you represent me, but you obviously represent yourself. Um, so and at the end of the day, that's all you're going to have when everything done of what they say about you and who you are. Um, so, so for me, but but when you look at you have, you know, the numerous kids like I do, all of them different, mm -hmm. you know, and one thing about me, what makes us good coaches is we coach all our players different. Mm -hmm. You know, they have different personalities. So I, I coach and I use this word. I coach my kids different mm -hmm. because parenting is coaching. It's mm -hmm. coaching your kids. You know, you got to, you know, you got to call them. You got to get on them. You got to let them be sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to let them make a mistake. You got to let them grow. Um, you know, sometimes you're just mad at them and you don't want to say nothing to them. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's parenting is coaching. Um, so I, that's why I feel like, you know, I treat my players like I treat my, I tell my kids, I mean, my players all the time. I have seven boys. Mom, I treat you guys just like I treat my kids. No different. Mm -hmm. um, and and, it, and parent is about coaching. And, and obviously they're your kids. So you want them to be successful. You want them to uh, follow in your footsteps. But I'm not a guy that want my kids to follow in my footsteps. I want them to be who they want to be. And I I feel like you're the same way, Coach. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I've been around you. I've been around your kids, and they all different. They all mm -hmm. got their own thing, <laughs> and I can and I and I can tell from you, like, listen, as long as you ain't out here doing no crazy stuff, and you and you you you're going in the right direction, I'm gonna support We're it, good. right? Yep. Even if I don't like it at times, right? I can support it, you know. Right. But you right. ain't just gonna be out here doing nothing right. and going. And, and, and going in a direction where I know it's not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. That's the only time I'll step in. But you got to have my biggest thing as a parent, you got to have something to strive for. You got to have some sort of goal because without without a mission, you have nowhere to go. You have no That's direction right. to go. That's right. That's right. You know, Mo, um, my kids, they they obviously love you a lot, and they've been around you and coaches. And uh, <clears throat> man, I, I'm your biggest fan, your cheerleader. You're at Jackson State now as the head coach. I think your next 10, 15, 20 years, your career is just going to be phenomenal. You've never not won, ever. You've never not won. You've always won. You've always found a way to win. Even at Cal That's State right. Northridge, our second year there, outside of the COVID 
you know, thing happened in that March uh, in 20, I guess, 20. We was going to the tournament. Coach. We were the best. For a school that had no to business tournament. to ever go, we, we were going. And the NCAA <laughs> tournament got canceled. But anyway, man, I'm proud of you. I love you to death, Mo, uh, your family, um, your brother Mike, everybody. You guys have just always been amazing your whole time. So I wish you the best of luck. And uh, I know you got uh, some great games coming up, man. But I'm proud of you, Mo, and uh, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it, Coach. Love you, man. I tell you, I tell you that all the time. So it ain't like I, it's nothing new. <laughs> I love you. That's authentic. That's that's you know obviously, man. What you've done for me, because what what guys don't understand before before, before you let me go, where where you choose to go to college is typically your most important decision because that guy has a, a huge impact on your next career and. Listen, man, you was a man of your word. Um, you told me I had to earn it, but you did tell me you was going to put me in position to be successful, and that's what you did, and hopefully I made you proud in the process. Well, you did, Mo. Thank you very much. You're the best. Appreciate it.